everyone, and welcome back to JNK Presents. Normally, this would be the podcast episode where we would be talking about another canceled too soon TV series. However, we are taking a break from that this month to talk about the fourth and final season of Barry. Uh, very exciting to be covering this final season. Uh, definitely go. Uh, if you have not watched this season, please do that before listening to this episode, because we're going to spoil the ending pretty early in the episode, I would say. Uh, my name is Jerome Cusan. You can find me on Twitter for now at JeromeC1985. Uh, please follow my co-host Kevin Ford at KFord on Twitter. Also, same caveat for now. Leave a four or five star review to get people to discover the show. Continue to support us here at The Real World. Uh, if you would like to hear more from Kevin Ford, uh, you can hear him on From Broadcast Depth, a podcast about Lost, and uh, Flooping the Pig, which I know there there may be some more Flooping the Pig in the very near future if the, uh, if the rumors are true about Fiona and Kate coming back. Uh, you can also check out his wrestling reviews, and again, just go to his Twitter uh, for that information. You can see my other podcast, Superhero Pantheon, and Pantheon Plus. In the month of June, Brian and I are discussing uh, Harrison Ford. In the month of July, we are discussing a number of Brendan Fraser projects. And together, Kevin and I have done podcasts about Veronica Mars, Halt and Catch Fire, Real Bad, and of course, Cancelled Too Soon, which we will be returning for the duration of 2023 next month. All right, Kevin, with all of that out of the way, with all that administrative business out of the way, let's talk about Barry season four. Kevin, coming into this season, uh, there's been a lot of discussion given the current state of TV, which we'll get into in a minute. But Kevin, the most important question, did Barry hashtag finish the story? Well, they did finish the story. I mean, it's done. But I do think it was a good ending, but I don't know that it was a great ending. Um, I feel like, you know, they tied up the loose ends. They got things taken care of. Things were sort of settled. I haven't reconciled if I like the choices they made. I think it was some some bold choices they went with. But I don't know that it'll go down in history as like one of the greatest TV series of all time. Um, I don't think it was disappointing either, though. I thought it was a good ending, uh, which is nothing. There's no problem with that whatsoever. Does this make sense, Kevin? For me, this show, in its totality, I, I on the individual episode level, I liked each individual episode, but it almost feels like this show was less than the sum of its part parts. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense, because I do feel like from episode to episode, you had great cliffhangers, really interesting things. And I do feel like watching individual episodes might be even more satisfying than rewatching it, like, start to end. So I 100% know where you're coming from. Yeah, and I think rewatching this uh, actually really helped me, especially episode seven, uh, which we'll get into. But I kind of want to talk about the the current state of TV uh, because it's it's been a very chaotic couple of months. Uh, so there's a couple of things: the Emmy Awards, people really want to get their shows up onto their streaming platforms or airing on cable before May 31st. Uh, the Emmys changed the rule so that there are no more lingering episodes. If you recall last year. Better Call Saul did the first half of its season before the Emmy date, uh, the Magic Emmy date of May 31st, and then they aired six remaining episodes in the summer. Uh, they changed the rules, so that basically doesn't happen. So you don't want hanging episodes. So everybody basically started if they wanted if they wanted their big Emmy run, they started in March, and that is 
what Succession did. That's what Barry did. That is what a number of TV shows did. So I want to mention that. Also, uh, this spring was a huge spring for finales. You had Ted Lasso, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Succession, and Barry all ending their seasons. And a ton of hype was spent on Succession. And Barry, in some ways, I think benefited from airing the same night because the ratings were definitely up from previous seasons. But in terms of the conversation, obviously, Succession really dominated uh, the conversation. And I think that is, uh, it's a really big deal. Now, Kevin has not watched any of Succession, so I'm not going to spoil any elements of it. But there's there's a lot of moments in Succession that I think will lead to it being regarded as one of the all-time shows. Uh, Ted Lasso, kind of a disaster. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel was fine not to mention you also had a yellow jacket as well uh so kevin a lot of uh, a lot of busyness uh with uh spring television any any thoughts i know really the only the only one of these shows that you have watched is barry but uh any other thoughts it is just an interesting coincidence that a lot of these shows are are ending at the time of like the writer strike because it just feels like uh, sort of like a big sea change in television. You have some of these prestige shows or at least, you know, longer lasting shows coming to an end as it seems like the industry is also going through upheaval. You know, you have both. But at the time of this recording, I don't think SAG has not uh, come to a deal and that ends at the end of June. And then you have the Directors Guild, I think, also coming on the, the back end of that. So it, it feels like it's going to be a really interesting time for the film and movie industry in general. Uh, so it just feels like a big time of change. You got some stuff ending and then who knows what the future is going to hold for television. But it's just a really interesting time. And we just don't know what the future is going to hold. You know what what's coming next, what's coming down the pike. It feels like there's, you know, things we know about that are coming that are already in the can. And then it just seems like there's this uncertainty and nebulous nature to the future of television. And it's it's very interesting and maybe a little concerning. Absolutely. There is a very real possibility that most of the summer. Uh, could be spent on the picket lines with the writers, the actors, possibly the directors. And that is uh, that is stuff that you we will all be paying very close attention to. Uh, and I'm glad Kevin mentioned the writer's strike. I was definitely going to do that. But in some ways, this is also kind of the end of an era for HBO. Uh, recently, HBO Max became just Max. And a bunch of Discovery content is now on Max. And basically, you have this, this behemoth of a streaming service competing with both Disney and Netflix now. Any uh, any feelings on Max? Has your experience with Max been any different uh, prior to, b- before being HBO? Well, I hated Max when I logged in, when I watched Barry. I did not get to watch Barry. Okay, well, I'll, I'll say this. I, perp- I purposefully didn't watch any Barry until the season was over because I wanted to watch it. Uh, I didn't binge it. I didn't watch all eight at once, but I watched like three, three and two or something along those lines. And I didn't do that. By the, by the time I got to it, HBO Max was gone and Max was there. And I was like, oh, I have to download a new app and like pay again. It was, you know, that sucked. And then I realized it didn't have a continue watching feature. And I thought like, is this just me? Can I not find it? Is it in a weird place? And then I did a quick like Twitter search and no, there was a lot of other people complaining about that. And then Funny enough, like a day or two later, that continue watching feature was there. It And it was interesting. Like if I went to the Barry page, I think it maybe told me what I had already watched. But if I, I it didn't just have a continue watching tab like a Peacock or a Netflix or something else does. 
but now it's there. I'm pretty sure when I went in a few days later, so it wasn't the best experience to start. It also feels like weirdly overwhelming. And I also feel like it's weird that there's like hubs in it. Like here's your HBO hub where you can find all your HBO stuff. I'm like, so you're still treating them as like separate entities within the same app, which is all very interesting to me. So it was not the most user-friendly experience up front, but I do think like just with a lot of these apps, it it's one of those things where like it'll only get better over time. Like it's rough to start and as people use it and have comments or, you know, whatever, they'll they'll hopefully clean it up. But uh, there was also, was it like Paramount Plus and Disney Plus or something that are combining for like Verizon users? It's Paramount Plus and Netflix. So we Netflix, are going yeah. to... Re- we are going to reinvent the cable package and you're probably going to start seeing uh, these streaming services bundled together because right. there's no way any one person can afford all of them, especially if you want to get the major ones. So you're probably going to see them uh, start to combine together. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's it's going to happen soon. And yeah, it, I, I would guess I would guess Hulu is also going to go away at some point as well. It felt like an inevitability, like you're going to have and and this just happens with anything. You have a million different competitors or whatever, and others get, you know, eaten up by their other competitors. Some just die and go away. And it just feels like we all knew when all these come out and there's this proliferation of streaming services. It was sort of like I just waited out to see who comes out ahead. And now you're seeing these these services team up or one by the other or this or that and every and eventually it'll go it'll be whittled down to just a few again and yeah it's interesting that it's getting baked into your your cable package or this or that so we're starting to see the beginning of this proliferation of streaming services start to to dwindle down in one way or the other and of course a lot of content getting dropped by the wayside in the in the process i know kevin the the king of physical media over there is kissed lording over all of his blu-rays now i mean you've gotta you gotta be very prideful of the fact that you've always been pro physical media and uh it's it's really paying off for you and what was the there was some movie that like they just went in and changed the ending of all the the digital versions even like if you owned it on voodoo or whatever uh, i'm not sure what that was but i mean this is definitely this is definitely going to be a problem but you know i think go ahead no, sorry, I was looking for you. You keep going. So Barry has done a really good job of satirizing Hollywood, and they've kind of addressed this in some ways. Uh, Kevin and I, have, we, we, we exchanged the taste clusters joke from season three quite often. So, yeah, this is definitely something that Barry has addressed uh, over the course of its four seasons. Uh, when we left Barry off in season three, just as kind of a reminder, uh, Gene had set up Barry to apparently murder uh, Jim Moss. Uh, Barry was arrested to end the season in a very uh, kind of a dramatic finish. Uh, Fuchs already was in prison. Uh, Sally was heading on her way home to Joplin, Missouri. Uh, Hank had saved Cristobal from being murdered by his wife and had done some major killing of his own. And now Cristobal and Hank are not only together as a couple, but apparently they kind of have the run of the land, so to speak, in terms of crime in Los Angeles. Uh, so anything else, anything else from season three that uh, I forgot, Kevin, or can we go into episode one? I think we can go into episode one. Good recap. All right. Episode one is called Yikes, written and directed by Bill Hader. Bill Hader directed all of the episodes 
uh, this season and was a writer on three of the more notable ones as well. Uh, so in episode one, Barry, uh, and this has caused a little bit of consternation in terms of continuity, uh, Barry has a beard to start. So the timing is very unclear because there's a, there's a point when Barry shaves his beard and it was thought that there was a continuity error. Uh, maybe we could get to that a little bit later. But Barry does have a beard. He is in prison. Uh, he, of course, just happens to end up in the same prison as Fuchs and they are uh, inmates. Uh, Fuchs is kind of fearing for his life, wants to wear a wire for the FBI to get a confession uh, from Barry. But Barry... Uh, in a very childlike way, is trying to apologize to Fuchs, trying to get Gene on the phone and just kind of ask him what's going on. And I, I really like, because Bill Hader is directing so many of these episodes, it almost feels like the supporting cast really has to step up. But especially in these first couple episodes uh, with Barry in prison, I, I really like just how tired he looks, how childlike he is. Um, this, this is good stuff from Bill Hader, I would say, from an acting perspective. I believe he directs all of the episodes in season four. And yes, I do like when he calls Gene in the first thing. He's like, Mr. Cousineau, did you did you turn me in? Like, like just the way the, you see the very clear relationship and dynamic he has with Fuchs and Gene and everything else. And I like how those dynamics change and flow as the season progresses uh, between Barry and Fuchs and Barry and, and Cousineau. And you get to see it all on display here that it, he's still like, you know, obsessed with Sally and still in love with her, still wanting the, you know, still wants the approval and love from from Gene in this twisted way. Uh, and it's all very interesting to see. Um, and it, it Fuchs is still always a very uh, the opportunistic character here, but sometimes he lets his uh, his emotions with Barry get in the way of those opportunistic moments as we see here. And then we see. Uh, pay off ultimately in the end. So at this point, because of what Gene has done, he is being hailed as a hero. And this is kind of a very different dynamic from the previous three seasons as he is, he's both been kind of a protagonist, but also has done a lot of really shady business and clearly has kind of this huge ego. And we see that materialize in these first couple of episodes. Uh, we get Jim very clearly warning him not to exploit the case, but for publicity. Uh, but Gene just cannot help himself, Kevin. He has to go, and he has to speak with a variety reporter named Lon O'Neill. And uh, their interactions are very funny. We get uh, we get some very funny moments between Lon O'Neill. Lon O'Neill, played by Patrick Fischler. Uh, Kevin, what is the thing you remember Patrick Fischler most for? Shoot, I know his face. What what do I know him from? He's definitely a that guy. I would say Red State is probably the thing that I first like remember him from, but I know he's been in a lot of other things. As okay, well. yeah, I haven't seen Red State, so it wouldn't be that. Oh, he was in he was in both Veronica Mars and Lost. Uh I think Mad Men too he appears in. Yeah, I do remember I vaguely remember him being in Mad Men. So, yeah, I think those are those are the things I would remember him most from. But yeah, he's 100 percent that guy. I see his face a lot and a lot of different things, but not for a very long period of time. 
Uh, so yeah, we get the introduction of Lon O'Neill. He's only in for a couple of episodes, but uh, he is a he's kind of a welcome presence, I would say, as uh, this journalist. Uh, Sally uh, gets off the plane, and boy, did she have a lot of text messages. I'm kind of surprised her phone literally just didn't blow up when she landed because of all the messages and all the things that came in. It's cute to remember that. Oh yeah, sometimes you can't. She she clearly didn't pay for Wi-Fi on the on the flight and had to turn <laughs> off her phone. Had to put in airplane mode. Also, yeah. not to go back at too much, but uh, Pat or uh, Patrick Fischler was in Pushing Daisies for an episode. So, how about that? How about it? Yeah, he definitely has been in. A, he's one of those guys you'll get his IMDb, and he's been in like two hundred things or whatever. So, but the the best part about Sally coming home though was just how much her mother did not care about. She seemed so put like not put off by, but just like so bothered and uh, like put like uh, put upon that she had to now take care of her daughter being home. Here's the thing. I think for three seasons, I think we've gotten some really good insight into who Sally is as a person. I think she is somebody who is both trying to do good, but also has had her her really dark moments. And I don't think you can ever excuse it because of family, but it is very clear why she is the way that she is because of the way that her mother acts. And you can tell that her father has done this a million times. Like he, he just is like he is comfortable in this role of just trying to placate everybody, trying to keep the kind of kind of family together. And the mom is just the worst person in the world. And I think you really feel that. And you can see why Sally left immediately, basically, to go right back to Los Angeles and hang out with Barry instead of being with her parents. Like in it, based on how her mother acts, I would almost rather be around uh, a potential serial killer uh, than be around my mom because it's it's pretty bad. They do a really great job of showing that Sally really has nothing in her life. Like there's no good options for her or any reason for her to stick around and not just go off with Barry when she does. Between this and what what happens with her and the, and uh, the coaching roles and things of like that. It's it, this is a great way to show that why doesn't she just go home to her family? Well, because her mom's a monster and you definitely get to see that she is a product of her environment. You know, it's very much the nurture that has made her into who she became as the actress and the person she was. Uh, and this was just the start of, you know, you know, checking off some boxes of what could Sally realistically do now? And are those options any more, any better or worse than going with Barry? And it turns out the answer seems to be no. So I I know that Kevin is really excited to talk about Hank and Cristobal because after everything that happened in season three, you know, they're kind of chilling out, looking at houses. Uh, but because of the, uh, because of the supply chain, Kevin, there are problems with sand. And Kevin, I know that you love when a movie or television show talks about sand. Any any time I can bring up Anakin Skywalker talking about how much he hates sand is a good day for me. It will be twenty seventy five. We will be on our deathbeds. There'll be a conversation about sand, and I will get that. I will get a message from Kevin Ford. You sure? Well, it's it says something about Attack of the Clones. That's the thing I remember most about that film. I mean, it's the dialogue isn't great, but does that <laughs> does are we sure it's bad? Because we like remember it. So I don't know. I don't know what that says, but oh yeah, it's bad because we remember it. 
but yeah, Hank and Cristobal have decided that they are going to invest in construction sand because apparently you can't use like just regular sand. You have to use a very specific kind of sand from other countries. And that's that's just really great to know that that is late stage capitalism at its best. And yeah, we get uh, we get some we get some fun moments between Hank and Cristobal. And I think one of the concerns that we may have addressed in season three was how are they going to kind of bring them back into the narrative? And I think you're starting to see how they're going to bring them back uh, through this first episode. You can see them kind of being more well integrated into the series uh, with some of the other characters now. Yeah, and it's them trying to get their footing about how do they move on now that they've kind of broken away from their separate, uh, you know, rival groups to to do something new together. Uh, meanwhile, Barry is uh, he is provoking he provokes a guard into beating him. To me, Kevin, the guard is kind of the the audience surrogate and the kind of audience member who would look at Barry and be like, he's awesome. I love Barry. I love when he kills people. It's the same people who completely misread Breaking Bad as a show and think that Walter White is the hero. So I love that we get the kind of this meta moment and Barry kind of beats the crap out of himself and then gets beaten up. And Fuchs kind of sees this and uh, apologizes for taking advantage of him. I have to say, that my favorite character development over the course of the final season is Fuchs and where he ends up. I think he gets, he not only gets some great moments, but I think this, the payoff to everything. I mean, this is, this is probably some of the best work that Steven Root has ever done. I would completely agree with you. He was a phenomenal, just, just a phenomenal force in this show. And it's funny because like, if you think back to this season, a lot of what he does is tied in, but feels more background just to the background of what Barry and Sally go through. But like this season is not what it is without Steven. Rube. It absolutely is not. And I think the thing that we come to realize is one of the reasons that I think Fuchs lives and survives is because at the end of the day, he is honest with himself about who he is. And he is really one of the only people on the show among the main cast who is willing to be honest with himself. And I think that's why he survives. That's a really good read on the character, but I, yeah, he, he never pretends to be something he isn't. And I, and that is both to his detriment and his benefit. But again, like you said, like he, he survives when many of these characters do not. And thrives in a lot of ways too. Yes, and, and we're going to talk more about him, of course, as we go along. And now we're going to talk about episode two, The Bestest Place on Earth, written by Nikki Hirsch and directed by Bill Hader. Uh, Fuchs decides that he is going to pull out of his deal with the FBI and decides that he is going to assemble a gang, uh, kind of embrace the Raven uh, as a character. So, Kevin, I guess you could say uh, the Raven is uh, forming his own flock. You could. God, I guess you could say that. I'm mad, like I'm mad about it, but I also appreciate it. <laughs> that that just that actually is a perfect distillation of our relationship. Indeed, <laughs> I could I I'm picturing the wheels turning, and you're mad you're mad that you didn't make the joke first. I'm mad I didn't make the joke first, and I'm mad I don't have like the, my brain is like trying to make a connection here, and it's just not working. But I but all of this to say is I love the scene in the beginning where the wizard by Black Sabbath is playing, and he's 
going to the coffee shop to get that woman and getting some other people together. And he's got the tank top and the tattoos. And it's like the rebirth of you. Cause it's a great scene. Yeah. That's, that's a little bit later in the season, right. but yeah, it's, it's, it's a really great moment. But I do sure. feel like, and I could be wrong, but I feel like he, he was the Raven at the start of the show, but I feel like he sort of like lost that persona. And now it's like, he's really re-embracing that side of him here. He absolutely is. Another great moment is uh, when uh, Fuchs is kind of monologuing and he is monologuing while the prisoners are watching uh, the pilot episode of Yellowstone, another Sunday night show. So that was uh, that was a fun nod to another show. I believe that Fuchs would be a big Kevin Costner fan for sure. I don't know. Like, I could see it. I mean, it's just it's hilarious to me that a bunch of prisoners are watching Yellowstone given the content of Yellowstone and how it's kind of a quote unquote, like red state show. I think sure. that's pretty amazing. People love that show. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's one of the top rated shows. So absolutely. Uh, let's, let's talk about Sally. Sally comes back to Los Angeles, visits Barry in jail and admits that she feels safe around him. And that is, that is very much a theme for the next few episodes in terms of kind of where Sally's head is at. Just this feeling of safety Barry is like, okay, so I need to get out of here. I have, I have this hope of being together with Sally. Uh, he decides to inform on the Chechians to the FBI in return for being moved to special housing and basically becoming uh, kind of going into witness protection. Kevin, every time I hear about witness protection, I cannot help but think of The Simpsons and Mr. Thompson. I think he's talking to you. <laughs> That's the perfect response. I, I do believe that was at least one of my top episodes on our uh, our Simpsons podcast, which you can listen to in the archives. Uh, for sure. That's that 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 is one of the best moments. Uh, I think the the meme world has really made uh, Superintendent Chalmers and and Skinner the steamed hams. Like that is that is basically the most iconic Simpsons scene now. Thanks thanks internet, which is remarkable. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty remarkable. Sally is thinking about getting back into acting. Lindsay warns her that her options are limited due to her association with Barry and her her outburst at Natalie. Here's the one thing I'll say. One of the things that I think speaks to Sally's character is Lindsay talks about this idea of, okay, you could go do podcasts. You could do like true crime stuff. Like you could go in this direction. But Sally very much like she clearly wants to be famous but she wants to be famous for, I guess, the quote-unquote right reasons. She doesn't want to sell out and become like a, like just this person who is known for being associated with a serial killer or for her viral outburst. She wants to be an actor, and I think, I think that speaks to who she is as a person. And if we're talking about Fuchs and him being honest with himself, I think Sally, the thing that I appreciate is that she is also trying to do the same. Yeah, and I also think. Part of me feels like it is unfair for her to be negatively associated with Barry. And I think the the idea that she would do a true crime podcast or something based on her life about it or like a book or something is definitely the best way to capitalize on that. I do think it's fair that she is held accountable for the video and stuff and being, you know, that bitch or whoever. And it's interesting to see you get the different takes from people on it as you go through the show like more people so you know people are more forgiving about it than she might think um and then she you know shoots herself in the foot with that um but yes it is very much about like 
there's a way in some which I respect it because, you know, the read on it is she wants to be famous or this. But I also know that obviously she cares about Barry and doesn't want to necessarily exploit that. But I also know that like she wants to it seems like she wants to be famous on her own merits and her own talents, which then plays into the way in which she is helping coach somebody else. And that and that doesn't sit well with her because it's not her getting the credit. It's not her doing the performance and her doing a podcast or a book about Barry. Well, yes, it's her story to tell, but it isn't about her. And I think that very much speaks to Sally's character. All right, Kevin. So Jean gives Lon a heavily embellished retelling of his history with Barry, the one man show back in the old theater. Why can I not get an uncut version of this retelling? How do I do it, Kevin? Where is it? I want it. Well, perhaps on a physical media release of Barry season four, you would get it. I I bet it's like four hours. I just want to watch the whole four hours. (laughs) That's uh, I know you weren't an office fan, but there is an episode where they talk about like uh, Michael Scott goes to watch a theater production of uh, Ed Helms in it. And they talk about, like, aren't you the guy who did a full episode of Law and Order like uh, SCU as like your thing. And they show a brief clip of that at the end. I just want to see Michael Scott, uh, Steve Carl doing a whole episode of law and order, doing all the parts as his one, one act character. I don't care if it's the whole 42 minutes. It would be <laughs> like to watch. Absolutely. So Sally confronts Dean at the theater about not disclosing Barry's murder of Janice. And uh, Dean suggests she begins teaching to cope with her trauma. We'll get to the, the teaching in the next episode. Uh, Crystal Ball is attempting to broker some peace among the warring gangs uh, by hiring them to his and Hank's operation. Uh, but Hank makes a surprise proposal to break Barry out of prison and kind of have him be uh, the enforcer for the group. And I don't know about you. I feel like, so there, there's a point in these first couple episodes when they go, uh, to David Buster's, and they have like this goofy scene uh, with them doing that. That that felt like a bridge too far. How did you feel about the scenes at David Buster's? Well, I'm sure they got a nice big fat check for it, but I do think it speaks to how like I, I can buy that Hank and Cristobal would fall in love with the concept of David Buster's as like this very Americanized thing. But it, but like, I don't know if it was a bridge too far per se, but I do feel like they, like nobody's paying attention to them in the background or whatever. And I get that that's kind of like the funny thing, but I think those, the scenes were shot really well. Like when they're walking around the table, explaining everything and the camera kind of moves with them. I really like that part of it, but it does seem like, a little out of place. I mean, the thing about it is, is like, even if the episodes were really bad, this is probably some of the best directed TV of the year. Like you can see that there is a singular vision and it makes sense because you have one director for the whole season, which is pretty rare, but like, even again, even in the moments when it doesn't work, like the direction is so, so good. And that's why I say on an individual episode level, even if the whole thing doesn't come together, great. I mean, this this the direction of this season is spectacular. What I didn't know either is, and I recommend listening to this, is I uh, I listened to Conan O'Brien's podcast, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, and Bill Hader was on uh, recently, like end of May. So it was right around when the finale happened. And he mentioned that he got to, I believe, write season three and four back to back. Because I think it was even during the pandemic when nothing was happening. 
either he knew there was a season four or talked to HBO about season four and was able to just write both of them back to back. So that's why there's a nice coherence and it feels kind of like a continuation uh, between the two seasons. But two, he talks about how he watches a lot of old movies and, you know, the beauty and its simplicity and the shots and things like this. So it's obvious to me that Bill Hader is a very big fan of cinematography, uh, camera directions and things like that. And he does he, he's very careful about using those techniques to tell his story. And you see that here in it. And it's it, it all his his genuine love of film and storytelling is definitely on display in a lot of these shots. So. Yeah, even you could tell there's a lot of care and attention put into those things throughout the entire show. We get kind of the ending of the episode, Fuchs calling Hank, and uh, he is informed that Barry is working with the FBI. So this is when Hank does the full turn and decides that he needs to kill Barry. And it's going to lead to one of the funniest scenes of the entire series at the end of episode three, which we'll get into in a second. But we start episode three with Hank and Cristobal. Uh, meeting a handler named Toro. And uh, what is so special about Toro, Kevin? Well, I believe he is played by Guillermo del Toro. I think it's funny that Bill Hader, who clearly wants to be a really big director, this cameo plus the director of Coda, and uh, another one that you might not realize he's a not a big director, but also a director. So uh, clearly Bill Hader has the directing bug and uh, is perhaps endearing himself to the directing community with some of these cameos. Well, I th- and, and you get the dark humor with another cameo later in this episode. I think it's this episode. Uh, for sure. So, oh man, do we. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so, of course, Hank and Cristobal want to kill Barry. Um, Barry is trying to get himself and Sally relocated into witness protection and we get a we got to get the return of Batir as he informs Hank uh, that the Chechnyan leaders want him to kill the rival gangs and clearly that is going to be coming to a head uh Juan O'Neill visits Barry in prison to ask about Gene uh sending Barry kind of into a rage when he learns what Gene has said about him I can only imagine I I, I just want to read the article and just see what would get Barry so mad uh O'Neill that visits Jim and uh, Jim terrorizes him into silence. And when he comes back, uh, our last scene with Lon, Lon is not even speaking the English language. And one of the things that I really love is that when the show does violence, it is very quick. It is almost done in like a singular shot. Clearly, whatever Jim did to Lon took over the span of hours, days. They don't show that violence, and I think it actually works out so much better because you know Lon has been through a lot when he's not even speak when he's speaking German, and he doesn't and he doesn't even know German, allegedly. And that, well, what's obviously that's very funny, but I've heard those stories of like you you can watch YouTube videos of like people who like have something happen, and they wake up with like a different accent, like oh, a lady in Britain will wake up with like a Chinese accent. She's never been to China before, like just these weird phenomenons. Or they speak a different language they've never spoken before. So, like, it's funny, but, like, there are cases where that happens. So it isn't this totally outrageous thing, but it is obviously extremely funny that, unfortunately, now Lon's wife has to deal with somebody who speaks German. It's pretty amusing stuff. I I don't know how Jim doesn't get arrested for that, but clearly, clearly has a good relationship with the police at the very least. We get Sally in the role of teacher 
that she has now basically kind of taken on the acting class that that Jean Cousineau used to have. And I think we see a great connection between the idea of uh, kind of an abused person becoming the abuser as uh, she really goes after one of the students, Kristen. Uh, Kristen needs help with a gig. She has been uh, cast in a superhero movie and is trying to get help. And Sally basically does a lot of what, what Jean used to do. And the rest of the class could not handle it. And they basically all leave, except for Kristen, uh, because Kristen has decided that even though Sally comes across as a terrible person, she is also the only one that actually got anything out of her. So this is what's going to happen for this episode. And the next episode, we get Sally kind of assuming the role of Jean and becoming a teacher. And yeah, this was uh, this was fascinating stuff. And I can't say enough good things about Sarah Goldberg. I think she does just a tremendous job. And basically she has to play a number of different versions of this character. And she also like Barry's kind of in prison for the first three episodes with Fuchs and, you know, Jim is doing his thing. Gene is with Lon a lot, but Sally is with a number of different characters that we basically have never seen before. And I think she does a great job of both building sympathy in some cases, but also being a terrible person. Yeah, like I love the scene where she's teaching because you have a group full of people who either know her from the Barry stuff or even the the viral clip. And I think a couple said they liked her show and all of them are willing to either have admiration for her or willing to give her the benefit of the doubt that she had a bad day based on the viral clip. And then as they watch her use the quote Cousineau method on the student, they realize uh, this is messed up and not OK. And they leave. And the, it's just the one person who sticks around and says, well, you know, you're the one person who got something out of me out of it. So let's let's move forward with this. And Sally does. And it's interesting to see how it just uh, just because you were taught that way doesn't make it the right way. And sometimes it takes a, a new generation of people to come in and say, no, this isn't OK. Just because it you know, just because it happened to you doesn't mean you get to inflict on other people and it's fine. Uh, just because it worked for you doesn't work for everybody else. But it does work for some people, as it did with this actress. So I just thought this scene was so friggin' well done. And yeah, Sarah Goldberg is phenomenal. I I hope she gets all the work after this show. So I want to take a quick detour because I think this is the appropriate place to, to discuss this. But uh, recently there was a book by Maureen Ryan. And uh, she has talked about like a number of abusive behaviors that have took place across a number of shows, including Sleepy Hollow and lost but then uh most recently on twitter uh one of the one of the crew members of barry just talked about how great uh the set was and i would like to think that um in this modern world that things are getting better and i think this is an example uh what she describes in terms of kind of how bill Hader manages things like i think uh, that it's it's really great to see that uh barry seemed to have a really good competent set and that uh, bill Hader's not a monster that's that's good to hear uh, hopefully that's true. Hopefully it's consistent. But reading that, actually, it made me feel a lot better, especially with all the news about, you know, Saturday Night Live and, and Sleepy Hollow and Lost kind of having these uh, these toxic environments. Can I tell you something funny else about the set that Bill Hader mentioned on that podcast? Go ahead. He said one thing that helped him be grounded is that one of the people he works with is like a high school buddy of his. And, you know, you your friends from high school or college, they're not afraid to be like, dude, that sucks. Or this, you know, this is stupid. So he's like, you need that person 
around you because you may have some people when you're the director, obviously, sometimes it can be hard. You're nervous about it or you just don't feel comfortable speaking up for whatever reason. But he said to just have somebody who's like your friend to be like, I don't know, man, this seems dumb or bad or stupid uh, was very helpful to him. So if you if you're a creative type, maybe have one of your buddies just read over something who will be honest with you. I think it's also helpful when you're maybe when you have your wife edit your movies for you. Um, and then you get Star Wars, A New Hope, and The Empire Strikes Back instead of Phantom Medicine, Attack of the Clones. Have you have you seen Patton Oswalt's bit about female editors? Uh, I think you I think you mentioned this to me recently, actually. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the clip. But the 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 whole basis he goes look at all these classic movies like you know like you you mentioned the Star Wars films or Pulp Fiction or even you know your Scorsese's or Spielberg films. So many of the ones that are great are edited by females. And Patton also has a great bit, bit about that. I'll see if I can find it on YouTube and send it to you. But yeah, get yourself some good editors, folks. It makes a big, it makes a world of difference. And I think he even mentioned, because I think he might have done some editing too, but it's like that's where a lot of the, quote, writing happens. So it's like, yeah, and, and you see how stories change or develop and, and things based on the editing of it. So yeah, very fun. All right, so we get a little, things get a little chaotic here. Barry calls Hank to arrange a hit on Gene, uh, but Hank is having none of it. Hank cuts ties with him, and we uh, we find out that Hank has hired a couple of podcasters. I felt very attacked in this moment, um, not just when they mentioned they were podcasters, but also the ensuing scene of chaos. Uh, Kevin, any thoughts on podcasters being assassins? Uh, that sounds about right. I mean, it depends on what. Yeah, I. I oh God, do I just say Joe Rogan? Is this part where I just say Joe Rogan or one of his guests? Go for Theo, it. Theo Vaughn. I don't know. Someone like that. Uh, so we get. So Barry is uh, meeting with uh, witness protection and things get derailed when the disguised assassins kill the officers. Uh, Barry kills one of the hitmen and uh, escapes the prison. Uh, a very interesting cameo, a very fun cameo from Fred Armisen. Uh, one of the things that is mentioned is that uh, they mentioned the idea that, okay, these podcasters have trouble with the equipment. And what you know it, Fred Armisen tries to operate a piece of equipment to kill Barry, and it doesn't work. Great setup and payoff. Uh, the look on Fred Armisen's face uh, was just A-plus stuff. They got the guy who's just, like, nervous. He's getting ready to shit his pants. Uh, there and, and it's funny that Barry immediately recognizes him as uh, a plant set to to kill him. It's a great ending scene to the episode. It really is. Uh, is this the best Fred Armisen cameo of the year? What are the other Fred Armisen cameos of the year? I think you should leave. Oh yeah. I don't know if that counts as a cameo as much as it does a guest spot. So let's say yes, this is the best Fred Armisen cameo of the year. Though I do love the his. I think you should leave sketch. Yeah, his, his I Think You Should Leave sketch is uh, it's pretty great. You know, as much as I would love to do and I Think You Should Leave podcast, it would literally be us going back and forth talking about great sketches. Yeah, and like you can't. You just can't do it. <laughs> you really can't. Uh, episode four, It Takes a Psycho. Uh, Kevin, I don't, I'm, I'm just going to say this right off the top. This is my favorite episode of the season. Trying to remember which one this is. This is, this is the hard thing when you watch stuff on streaming. So I'm like, re- so I'm like reading over your recap of this it. This is the one. This is the one where there's almost no Bill Hader. It is almost all supporting cast. Okay, and this, Hank dies. Got it. Yes. Our yeah, Christmas this is a great episode. I can see this. I can see why this would be. I think you just get a lot of really great payoffs. Uh, you get Fuchs being beaten by the prison guards 
who believe that he aided in Barry's escape. And this is what I think Fuchs fully embraces the idea of returning to his persona of the Raven. That's great. Yes. Uh, you get Gene moving to his cabin, uh, becoming paranoid upon learning of Barry's escape, accidentally shooting his son, Leo. Uh, Leo tries to bring him the food that he wanted, that, that Gene wanted earlier. He does bring it, but gets shot uh, for his trouble. So any thoughts on the Gene or Fuchs stuff? Well, obviously I love the Fuchs stuff and, and uh, I really like the Gene stuff too. And just, uh, oh, I forget that actor's name. Who's like his bumbling assistant, not assistant. What's the agent? He was in uh, Maria Bamford's Netflix show though. And he was so funny and he's great in this too. And yeah, he mentioned to his son like, oh, can I order, you know, DoorDash or whatever food for my place? And then his son brings it to him as a nice surprise. And he thinks it's very and shoots him. And then that becomes important later. Because at first I'm like, oh, that's a funny bit. And then you realize, wait, no, there that actually is an important thing that happens in the show. And I love that it's brought up there. So uh, yeah, and I do think it's nice because like you're going to get the episode like it's episode six or seven when you jump to the future and it's pretty much all Barry and Sally. So to get an episode away from them, too, is a, uh, a really good idea. You just don't want to get sick of people. And that's the nice thing about having a cast like this, where even if it's relatively small with about you know, six or seven top people, you can jump from story to story to story. So nothing gets stale and you can give them the focus where you need to, especially when, you know, a couple episodes later, the focus is going to be back on the people we don't focus on in this episode. So yeah, it, I, I, I do really appreciate the episodes where you just kind of get away from the main people and get some focus on the side characters. It is so funny. You're saying this because there's a couple things that I really appreciate Barry and I especially appreciate it in relation uh, to Ted Lasso, the final season. I don't know if you've read anything about the final season of Ted Lasso, but there's been a lot of discussion because Ted Lasso episodes, in the first season, it was 30 minutes. In the second season, you had a couple episodes that stretched into 40 minutes. But the third season had multiple episodes that went over an hour. And again, this was once a half-hour show. Barry stayed consistent the whole way through. Eight episodes, 30 to 35 minutes per episode. And I admire that discipline so much. I think the thing that I can say about Barry is that it left me wanting more in each season. And I, I still think 10 episodes would have been perfect, but I can't complain. I cannot complain about a show that ultimately leaves me wanting more as opposed to being sick of it. And I was very much sick of Ted Lasso by the end. Yeah, and I think that's that's what you want from a show is you want it to end before you get tired of it or you're just waiting for it to be over. And I think Barry going out with its its fourth and last season, him getting a chance to write them back to back, keeping it to the time constraints and being able to direct the whole last season to keep that coherence and story going like it gets so many so many things that so many other shows could take a lesson from. But I'm glad that it's like, nope, this, the story with Barry, we have a season left and we can end it and. Because, again, like with the end of the last season, like he gets caught. How much longer can you really go from there? And they knew that and they ended at the right time. And that was that. And they didn't. And like you said, they didn't bloat the runtime or anything like that. They just kept it how it is. And the consistency, I think, is what makes it uh, so, so well revered. And in, in, in addition to ending at the uh, what I feel was the right time. Absolutely. Uh, we get some we do get some good stuff with Sally here as uh, she goes with Kristen uh, to the set of the superhero movie. And just the way it looks, it just it feels like a perfect distillation. And uh, we get a cameo by Coda director uh, 
C.N. Hader, no relation to Bill Hader. I didn't look this up. Hader is also spelled differently. Uh, she spells it with an E, whereas Bill Hader spells it with an A. Um, I do have to say that if, if you have a director cameo, I think it could go in a number of different ways. It could get really dicey in terms of performance. But I think C.N. Hader perfectly captures what it would be like to direct a Best Picture winner and then direct one of these schlocky superhero movies. She does a great job in this. And I have to give her a lot of credit because this easily could have been very poorly done. And she captures the exhaustion and the frustration very well. So I'm guessing with the with this cameo in Guillermo Tortoro that uh, he's just a huge fan of Coda, huh? Uh, I would guess so. I mean... <laughs> Son of a bitch. Anyway. I, didn't put, I didn't put that together, but yeah, she's she's phenomenal. And I think uh, the way that Sally, you know, takes in everything she feels about it is just like, I, I think that really resonates with Sally as an actress who cares about her show. But I think, it, you know, she got her show canceled, even though it was well liked and all this stuff. And then she realizes like, hey, if this is going to be my future as a director or whatever, it's probably going to have to be in these superhero movies or whatever. And uh, it's a good thing that hasn't had any reflection on the real life movies and actors and directors having to, to do these kind of films to, to get. Mm -hmm. uh, so as, uh, as the scene goes on, Kristen has some trouble. Uh, Sally kind of both saves the day, but it appears like maybe she's trying to steal the role for herself. And uh, she has some great interactions uh, with Kristen's agent. Kristen's agent is played uh, by Paul McCrane. Uh, do you remember Paul McCrane from anything, Kevin? Truthfully, no, but I'm looking him up to see if I, if anything rings a bell. I, I would have to say that his most famous role is Robert Romano from ER. Has to be. It is also infamous. Can, can I spoil ER for you? Or You can. Also, he's been in RoboCop, so I would, I, and I would know him from that, I take yes. it. Yes. So he lost his arm because of a helicopter accident, and then he got decapitated by a helicopter a few seasons later. Jesus that Christ. Really that really happened. Why is he around helicopters so much? Because it's, because it's a hospital in the city, and sometimes you have to uh, airlift people into the roof of the hospital as opposed to driving them. I see. He's great here. He is such a... He's such an asshole. He plays the asshole really, really well here. And yeah, I, this this stuff was great. I think it really, it kept up the, the satirizing of Hollywood. I think it also made you feel some level of sympathy for both Kristen as an actor, as well as Sally. Like Kristen is clearly being cast because she is conventionally attractive. But I love the way that even though like, we're never going to see Kristen again, basic, for all intents and purposes, we only really see her one more time. But I love that this show is able to find some sympathy for her. Oh, no doubt. Like, you can like you can tell they only cast her as a piece of meat, basically. And they, they don't care. Like, they obviously want her to do the role well enough, but, like, good enough is good enough. And like they say, with, with the performance from Sally, they're like, that's great. Now, if only we can get that into that body, we'd be good to go. And it's just it it somehow that comment hurts the both of them. And it's just it's it goes to show the the shallowness of the, the movie industry. So obviously Sally gets an offer to possibly uh, do some acting coaching for other people. And that's kind of left to the wayside for a few minutes, because I think the emotional center of this episode is uh, Hank and Cristobal. Um, 
we get Hank uh, participates in the burying of his new associates alive in sand uh, to save himself. Cristobal almost is uh, buried in the sand as well. I mean, you want to talk about a great moment of dark humor, them being absorbed into the sand so quickly. If you blink, you almost miss it. It's, it is, it is a very much a gallows humor moment, but I loved it. Yeah, it is. It is crazy funny, uh, but but dark. I mean, that's that's kind of what all those scenes with those two guys are are like in this episode. Uh, we do get the brief return of Michael Ironside as uh, as kind of the the leader of the group, and then we get this very emotional scene between Hank and Cristobal. This is kind of what the last season and a half has been building to, and we get the unfortunate uh, climax of this as Cristobal has decided that he really cannot participate in this and has to separate himself from Hank, but because he knows too much, he cannot be allowed to live. So unfortunately, Cristobal is murdered, and Hank is uh, very emotional about it. And uh, this is very powerful stuff, man. Like, for a show that is sort of a comedy, uh, a lot of dark comedy, uh, they they really nailed this scene, and I was I was really impressed by how much they invested us in, in Hank and Cristobal's story. They did such a great job in season three of making you want them to be together and then for it to pay off this way. I mean, they really put the work in and they could have very easily not done this. But the fact that they did, I think it really adds some emotional resonance. And even if this season was not a perfect season of television, I think the way that the Hank and Cristobal stuff paid off uh, was really great. Absolutely. You even have that moment where like you have the guy who's wearing like a very similar shirt to him comes in and you're like, oh, is he still alive? But no, no, he isn't. So, uh, yeah, but I'm glad they gave this the, the focus and attention and the and the gravity it did. And at the end of the day, even though he cares for him, he's like, you know, too much. I have to kill you. It's just something he can't look past. And then you see how that colors the rest of his life. So we do get. Barry at the end uh, as he and Sally uh, reunite and then uh, we cut to not a desert but kind of a desolate area as they are shown to be living in a remote area with a, with a, with a kid and this created a lot of confusion because Barry has done a lot of dream sequences so a lot of questions in people's mind Kevin was this real what was your inclination at the end of season four was this real or was this a dream yeah, that it was real. Why, why, why? <laughs> what do you mean, why? Why did you think that it was real? Uh, I mean, it just like passage of time. Like I, like, you know, we have Barry and, Sa- you know, you have Sally saying, you know, let's go. You see that they're, you know, in a remote area. So it feels like they, they're uh, Jesse Ventura style off the grid. Uh, and it seems like they, that, that is a life that they could that they could sustain, I suppose, and get away with. Um, and it's, and it made me be like, whoa, what's this look like? And uh, I really liked episode five a lot to see what that life for them looked like. And it's just like this very, very strange world that they've sort of cultivated for themselves. But uh, my takeaway is like, you know, there's a difference between having a life and living a life. And it feels like, yeah, you're both alive, but, is this really is this really living what we're doing in this world like the the world they've crafted for themselves and their son 
I think you you just explained it really well, and I I sort of had an inclination that it was real as well, even though we did see some dream sequences with them together, kind of dancing at a wedding. So I don't know. There was just something about it that made me believe that this was real. And even though they've had cliffhangers in the past, I can't imagine that they would have a dream quote unquote cliffhanger. So that's 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 kind of how I felt. Episode five is uh, is fairly kind of a mixed bag, I think, among fans and people who watch the show, I think there was a lot of feelings about like this show jumping ahead eight years. And I know you mentioned that it is one of your favorites. Kevin, why don't you explain why is this your, one of your favorites of the season? Well, again, I think it's, you know, you get to, it's mostly the fascination with seeing where Barry and Sally are at this point. And it's interesting. And I, and I, I apologize because I'm sure I'm going to get this mixed up with like the next couple of episodes, but I know that like you see that, you know, Sally wears a brunette wig and she goes and works at a diner. So she's basically abandoned her life to be a waitress and be with Barry. And as much as you understand that there wasn't a lot waiting for her at home, you see this and you think like, really, this is what we're giving up that life for is putting on a fake Southern accent and working at this diner every day. Is that, is that what we want? And, you know, she's developed some, some alcoholic tendencies, um, you know, and then just like Barry just sort of stays put in their house and raises their kid. Uh, and they have the, and now they're both have, uh, are very pious people, which is very interesting to see. And you wonder if that's an earnest thing. And I do think we learn that at the end. Um, and it's just very interesting to see uh, how their son is, you know, how he perceives his parents. You know, they talk about his, you know, the 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 war hero side of Barry and not the murderer side of Barry. And any murders he has that can be explained away for we had to do that in the heat of combat, not knowing that. Uh, no, there there is a lot to his life other than that. Um and so just all of that being so fascinating and interesting to see what they've decided to to craft their life, uh, their their detached, isolated lives like was so fascinating uh, to watch as. And then, at, of course, at the same time, Gene reemerges and is pitching uh, this biopic about Barry. And then they learn about it at the end. And now they have to change course because, you know, the jig might be up. If uh, if this film comes to pass. So all of that, I just found immensely fascinating to see, like, how does how does Bill Hader and the writers see the the future of these characters and how do they and what world they've created for themselves? That's I think the more the fascination, anything is what made it one of my favorite episodes. I think you just see the control that Barry is attempting to exhibit a certain amount of gaslighting that's going on. And I think you see that subtly and in more blatant ways throughout the episode. Sally is very clearly depressed about her situation. She ran away with Barry eight years ago and clearly is just kind of in a malaise at this point because all she does is is do, doing this waitress job. I think there is a certain level of acting that is going on, so I don't think she's totally abandoned it. But I also think she's profoundly unhappy. And I think Bill Hader, or I should say Barry, in this case, becomes religious because in some ways, I think he's trying to justify his own behavior, and I think that's what a lot of religious people, not everybody, not all Christians are bad, but I think you get uh, a certain part of that is people who do bad things kind of use re- religion and Jesus to, to justify that, and I think you see that a number of times as they 
watch various pastors and very clearly they're not he's not leaving the house a whole lot um they have this kind of vast area to themselves and when there's a knock on the door they're literally going to get guns which i mean that 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 is a great commentary on our american society in its own right uh but you also get these moments when barry's son wants to play baseball and how does barry respond by showing his showing his eight-year-old or maybe seven-year-old child uh kids getting killed <laughs> like one kid breaks her neck one kid gets beamed in the face and I, I think in terms of dark humor i don't think it gets any darker than a kid getting killed by getting beamed in the face with a baseball no and it and it works it scares it gives him nightmares about dying just by playing baseball and that's what barry does to you know that's a very manipulative way to keep things isolated and from having his kid want to go out and do normal kid things it's horrible i mean not only show you know the videos themselves are horrible but him you know showing to them is to his children is very exploitive it's again it's another nature versus nurture thing they're nurturing this child basically like afraid of the world for sure and uh we also get a number of moments of barry uh talking about like heroes of history abraham lincoln gandhi and then kind of talking about the negative things that they've done as well. So clearly he's trying to justify his own actions by saying, look, Abe Lincoln was a bad person. Gandhi was a bad person. And given the recent return of Clone High, I think that makes it all the funnier that Abe Lincoln and Gandhi were referenced on this episode. That is a good point. Maybe maybe that's where he, he got it from. I mean, I'm sure Bill Hader watched Clone High back in the day. Uh, definitely. Uh, so one of the things that I mentioned to Kevin uh, before, I, I said, Kevin, you have to text me before you watch episode five, is uh, so Ryan Johnson, when Glass Onion came out, uh, he talked about that Apple kind of has this rule of only protagonists can use Apple products. And I, I can never not watch a TV show and look at the computer or cell phone and not think of that rule. It's just something that's going to stick with me because it's so memorable in my mind. And wouldn't you know, Kevin, Sally is using an Apple MacBook and uh, and Barry is using a PC. And you made a really good point in saying that when they hear this this priest uh, kind of going off, it is on Barry's computer. I thought that was a very good observation on your part. But I think that that kind of tells us uh, who the real protagonist and kind of the real villain of the show is. It's so funny that like, because I feel like this isn't the first time I've heard of a, a company do this. Like it wasn't Apple, but I've heard like, you know, some company wanted to use like some some movie or show reached out to a company to use one of their products. And they're like, well, this kind of character wouldn't use this product. It's like, what are you talking about? Like your your product is ubiquitous. And they're like, yeah, well, we don't want this person using it. I can't remember the example off the top of my head. But for Apple to be like, no, only good guys use Apple phones is very funny to me. Um and it made me also, but I also think it was not only that contrast, but like when you're seeing what their life is like, you know, once the kid's asleep or whatever, like they're both watching separate things on their separate laptops away from each other. They're not cuddled up on the couch watching something on TV. They just very much have like this separate sick of each other kind of, I don't know if it's sick of each other may not be the way of it, but they're kind of carrying on their separate lives together in a way. Um and it's just like, again, it goes to show like, yes, they're both alive, but they're not being they really can't live their lives to the fullest extent with the way because of what they've done in the past. So, yes, a very controversial episode, I would say, among among people who watch this. But here we are. We are eight years later. And the next episode, 
Uh, we get Barry traveling to Los Angeles intent on killing Gene. I, I kind of want to talk about all the Barry stuff uh, now at this point. Uh, I love that he is listening to a number of different priests and trying to get uh, the answer that he really wants. Like he just, he wants to straight up murder Gene and he is looking for somebody to tell him that. And uh, it's, 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 it has a great payoff, but just the moments of him listening to the various priests and getting frustrated is pretty hilarious. Yeah. When he hears like the one priest talk about how like, you know, sometimes killing is this and he's like, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, but don't take that to mean that I'm, you know, giving you permission to go out and kill somebody. He's like, God damn it. He's so mad that he didn't, he should, he didn't get exactly what he wants. And, and yeah, I think, that to me shows that there, like you said, there's an atonement, but there is some earnestness in him wanting to find a loophole or permission to to go and kill somebody. And you want to talk about uh, a commentary on the the American public. Barry going and purchasing the guns is uh, a very much, I think, speaks to uh, our, our way of living in the in the U.S. Well, the clerk says that she has to show Barry these pictures and he's just casually like, well, yeah, okay. Um, very concerning. I, I would not want to sell a gun to a person who is that casual about those pictures. It's very concerning, Kevin. It, yes, but it also speaks to just like, I, I'm doing this because I legally have to. It's just something I have to do. You know most people aren't going to care uh, or not be affected by it, but they can say it, it's a liability waiver for the store to just be like, well, I showed him it. So we're not at fault if they go off on a murderous rampage and they just sell him the guns and he walks out of the store, just, you know, strapped to the nines with, with, with firearms and, and bullets from a, you know, a, a Walmart or Kmart approximation in this world. And it's just like, yeah, that is uh that is the unfortunate truth in some areas. And the funny thing is the scene in the finale may be even funnier because he just straight up walks into the room, says guns, and then is walking out with the gun strapped to him. And the funniest bit is that he has trouble getting into the car. That yes. it's it's such a great scene. And I think when he comes back, he's also like, you know, war torn and like looks like he's in he's in shambles. And she sells him to him anyways. Because what do I care? I'm an hourly employee. I get paid like shit. I just sit here and deal guns. Get, just get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> I just I just want to move on with my day or evening. And yep. that's it. Well, uh, and, the, so, and, and she's probably worried if she gives resistance, she'll be killed. Yeah. I mean, that's undoubtedly a part of it as well. And my so I, I, I assume you do not watch it the next time on Barry's. I don't watch that. I actually don't think they were included when. I rewatched on Max. I watched all the previously ons, but I didn't see any next on berries. Like I would. The next on berries are really hilarious because it's just like five seconds of nothingness. They're the funniest next ons, but for, for the penultimate episode, the next time on Barry was the clerk playing Sudoku. Amazing. (laughs) So I, I, I watch, I always watch them just because they would give me a chuckle because it was pointless, but it was, it was so funny. Uh, so Fuchs is finally released from prison. Kevin, I need your immediate thoughts on sexy Stephen Root. He's a pretty sexy, I gotta say. I was a, I was a fan of this change, and him just going around and getting his gang, and he had that swagger to him. I could see why uh, the woman at the coffee shop immediately left with him. Absolutely, and nobody has ever put Stephen Root in this position, but just the level of confidence that he has. I mean, this is just. What a tremendous payoff for this character. And you could have easily killed Fuchs at any point, 
But the fact that they go in this direction, I think, I mean, it's a great showcase for him, but what a unique perspective on this character because in the end he survives and I, I think the way that they go about that is just really, it's really fascinating. Yeah, it's like he comes out of prison like stronger, more confident and just like a, a whole new person, but in like the worst ways. Right, he is, he's been rehabilitated, but he's been rehabilitated in a really bad way uh, for society. Not He is not the kind of rehabilitation that you want. No, he is the, a picture-perfect example of the failure of the criminal justice system. Uh, so we get a lot of Fuchs and Hank. Uh, Hank has, is now running a successful sand importation company, which, that's so good. It is called Noho Ball. And he, uh, Fuchs agrees to work for Hank in exchange uh, for getting to kill Barry. Uh, Hank insists that Barry is no longer a threat. Clearly, he's moved on. He's just trying to move on with his life. Uh, Hank terminates the agreement when a drunk Fuchs mistakenly congratulates him for eliminating Cristobal. The stuff with uh, with Hank and Fuchs in the final episodes, especially episode eight with uh, Fuchs's big monologue, uh, it's it's really really good stuff. Loved it. Loved the scene. Uh, really loved that he has found just a uh, that that the woman from the coffee shop never says anything. Is love, but his daughter does, and she is like a well-adjusted human being, like a very much a fish out of water in the situation. And I love the discussion they have about like not killing anybody around them in the. I think it's in the next episode, but yeah, any the and then I like that the 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 relationship completely changes with with Hank and uh, Fuchs when he mentions him killing Cristobal. He's still in heavy denial about it, and the payoff in the final episode is really great with the the standoff uh, back at headquarters. What if at the end of Fuchs's monologue he said, quote, the Raven nevermore? Hmm. I'm glad they didn't go there. I'll just say that. That's two of them I got on you, Kevin. Two of them. Or or it would have been great if someone suggested that. And he's like, that's fucking stupid. That actually is better. Very much better. Yeah. Uh, so Gene is back. He has been in Israel for eight years. And he is uh, he is back. And... Uh, during a meeting with studio executives, uh, after that, he is uh, meeting with the district attorney. Uh, he explains that he has come out of hiding to assure a biopic will not be made uh, that glorifies his Barry or Janice. Uh, so we once again get this idea of Gene has rehabilitated himself. But as as it happens every other time, we think Gene has changed. He really hasn't uh, because he is never honest with himself, even though he does apologize to Leo for shooting him. And yeah, the gene, the gene stuff is kind of meh for me in the final couple of episodes. Uh, just because again, with that eight year layoff, it feels like you have to do so much explaining and the gene stuff in particular uh, did not necessarily work for me because I just don't know that his kid would ever want to talk to him or see him again, even if it was an accident. And also, how does Gene? How is Gene just able to fly away after shooting his kid too? Yeah, that is that is an interesting question. But I think it's a great it's it's great to see. It's like the people who keep. I mean, this is kind of the wrap up of the show. But it's like Gene's amongst people who 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 can't come to terms and be honest with themselves, and he ends up paying for it in the end. Uh, and that is a very much a theme of the show. Uh, for sure. So Sally is uh, alone with John. 
and he had he, she at one point hears uh, the voice of Shane Taylor, the person that she killed in self-defense. That's the thing that I think is so notable is that Sally is experiencing this PTSD uh, of Shane, but really she was justified in what she did. Uh, but she's just having a hard time uh, dealing with it. And uh, the show becomes a horror movie. Uh, she is seemingly hallucinating an attack from an unknown assailant just dressed all in black. And we even get a car driving into the house. And I am pretty sure that that actually happened. But a lot of stuff is hallucinated. Uh, what did you think of this whole, this very, like, this horror movie that happens in the middle of episode six? Yeah, it very much reminded me of, like, the episode with, like, the little girl, like, biting them and stuff from, like, season two, where it's, like, a little bit more, like, a weird kind of supernatural happening in Barry that they sometimes do. I thought it was nice and tense and interesting to watch. Um, And then, but you also wonder, like, oh, is it some, like, is she drunk and hallucinating this? Because she gives her kid, like, vodka so he'll shut up and go to sleep because he's all sad. Um but I think it, it like it also might just be a hallucination because like she's probably scared to death. Like I don't know how Barry could think leaving her and the son alone in that house was a good idea. Even bringing her to L.A. and having her in a hotel at, at arm's length would have, been, I think, would have been the way safer option. And I can so I can understand her her feeling unsafe and seeing all these things and then leaving to to L.A. in the next episode. Uh, but yeah, I thought it, I thought it was very. But I was like left confused. Like, wait, did that happen or did it not? happened but it was it was confusion more than it was like interest if that makes sense absolutely yeah it was uh it was definitely uh bill Hader, you know kind of channeling energy towards horror and i think that's one of the things that's been talked about is people really want to see bill Hader direct a horror movie and given the budgetary the budgetary aspects i think a horror movie is probably a good direction for him to go to uh, because he can make a horror movie for five to $10 million and can probably have a lot more control and will probably just be a happier person. I, I, I can't imagine Bill Hader uh, directing like the fantastic four or an X-Men movie, for example. No. And people also loved him in it chapter two. So I think they, they see that and his directing and the way that Barry's done. They're like, yeah, horror immediately springs to mind as something that he could do really well. And there is a connection with it in uh, the final episode. Is there now? Yes, and I will explain it when we get there. Episode 7 is A Nice Meal, written by Liz Sarnoff, and of course directed by Bill Hader. Uh, After Hank fails to kill Fuchs multiple times, uh, he instead decides to help Fuchs kill Barry by kidnapping Gene and using him as bait. I have to say, Kevin, this episode... The uh, the scene with the assassins and then them coming back and you see the boxes and you see the blood at the bottom of the boxes. Uh, that is a great visual. And just <laughs> Fuchs is clearly attracted to one of the assassins and mentions that even in death, how attractive he looks. I love that. I also love the wily coyote scene of of Hank shooting the one rocket and it missing and him being pissed that they only had the one rocket. And then the, the fun the funniness that ensues with him having to run away, drive away. His driver gets killed. We hear him running through the bushes and kind of falling just everything with Hank and Fuchs in this episode is gold. 
so good. And then he uh, gets picked up and he's at a house like all dusty drinking a Coca-Cola and he leaves like, bye. He's like, I don't want this. Uh, I did not realize this was written by Liz Sarnoff. She's a phenomenal writer from Lost. And this was probably my favorite episode of the season. So how about that? That's uh, that's some really good synergy, I guess, you got going on there. So, yeah, uh, love that. Love uh, all of Sally and uh, John scenes in this. The the stuff where the um, how the 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 tide turns with Gene. Everything about this episode is really good. It's a great setup to the 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 final episode. Absolutely, yeah. I think this I, in rewatching, I think I developed a greater appreciation of episode seven because they really do lay out what is going to happen to Gene very clearly. Like. I think the, the the final episode makes all the more sense when you understand what's going on in episode seven. So also what's going on here is uh, Jim is doing his interrogations. Barry is getting very emotional and Barry says something about the $250,000. And this is when Gene kind of, or when Jim kind of looks around and, and basically figures out at least this is his perception is that maybe it wasn't, maybe Barry did the murder but Gene Cousineau was actually the person kind of running things. And I think a lot of people have said, oh, this is Jim just being a moron and being dumb. I, I see the logic that, it, that is presented here. I think the, the issue of you know him being able to escape, Barry being able to escape, I think that is a little bit of an issue. I almost wish they just had Jim release him instead. But I could definitely see how Jim comes to the conclusion that Gene is really the bad apple. No doubt. And I love how this episode plays out, how it's somebody who pretending to be Dano De Lewis's agent, baiting him into this meeting and how everything sort of comes together. And again, like people have to remember that he is, he is in distress over the death of his daughter. And, you know, there's part of that, that he wants answers. He wants someone to pay for his daughter's death. And he sees this and, it's both, I think, emotional, but also logical that he would come to this conclusion that uh, Gene was close enough to to make this happen. And uh, Gene just doesn't have a scapegoat. And he again, this is where his him shooting his son comes into play. And it, it's interesting that for whatever reason, he can't explain that, like, oh, I thought you were Barry coming to get me. And that wouldn't fly because no one had seen Barry. It's it's all just very it's it's all just so intricately woven together and you can see like, oh, yeah, I can see why somebody who we know more information than they do. And that's why I think we're like, wow, what an idiot. But you have to forget that we know all this information. They don't and take it from their point of view to say, oh, yes, I can see why he would consider the fact that Gene might have been behind this might have been the mastermind behind Barry killing her. Indeed, Gene is able to potentially uh, get involved with this biopic and is once again being selfish. And there's a there's a pretty dark payoff as he is taken into a room where Jim is there and the district attorney. And they're all convinced that Gene was the one dealing with the Chechians, manipulating Barry into killing Janice to stop her investigation. And I, I really do appreciate that they have. They have been very consistent with this Janice Moss business that that her murder really has had an impact on the rest of the series. And I, I give them a tremendous amount of respect for that because the, the it could have easily been forgotten. But this has really been kind of the centerpiece of the entire series. And, and again, I really I respect that. Is it this episode or the final one where Sally 
says, oh, no, it's the next one, I believe. Where yeah, she wants this episode, Sa- Sally and John fly to Los Angeles, and uh, they end up going to Gene's house. That is when they get captured. Uh, Sally sees a police officer, but she sees him as uh, Shane Taylor. And it's, uh, again, another very dark kind of moment for her, another PTSD moment. Uh, so they end up captured. Uh, Barry escapes from his captivity, receives a call from Hank, and Hank says that they must meet or else Sally and John will die. And that sets us up for the finale. Any other thoughts on episode seven? It's just my favorite of the whole episode. I think it's a great, it gives us a great setup to what the finale is. And I feel like it puts squarely, and, and it's reaffirmed here in episode eight, but as people squarely gives us the three people who are denying their past and trying to move forward with it. And the three and the two people who are coming to grips with who they are and trying to either atone or live their lives with honesty. And that all gets paid off in the finale. Yeah. And I think we get so many great individual scenes. We get Sally confessing to John that she and Barry are fugitives. And again, I can't say enough good things about Sarah Goldberg's performance in this season. And in this, in this scene specifically, when she's talking with John, I mean, she just kills it. She is so great. Uh, we'll get, we'll kind of get into the shootout in a minute, but um, yeah, just, just Sally and John in this early scene. Um, it really, it made this more emotional than it probably had any right to be. And I think it made it, I think it invested us in their relationship a lot more than prior because prior it was a lot of, well, Barry was also there. And in one episode, we basically see her, uh, get, give him whiskey and getting him drunk. So he goes to sleep, but I think you really feel the love between mother and son in this moment. I think that's important. For sure. And it's obvious that, you know, Sally, you know, wants, I don't think she likes lying to her son either. And I think with her to get it off her chest and, you know, do this, you know, for her son also rehabilitates her somewhat. And I think it's, you know, it's, I think it, is it this morning or the, the, this evening when she tells Perry that she thinks he should turn himself in. Uh, it is in, it is in this episode. Okay. When she says that when they're lying in bed after the big shootout, okay. uh, which we'll go back and address because uh, Barry, that's why he goes back to Gene's house because he thinks Sally and John went there and what a fateful decision that was. But before we get there, so we know a shootout is going to happen. Like clearly that's what they're setting up, but the twist of it is Kevin. And I love this. I love the fact that unlike in like a breaking bad, when Walter White gets to go out in a blaze of glory Barry does not get to do that because the shootout happens even before he shows up as uh, Hank decides to renege on the deal and it leads to this big shootout. But what a moment for Fuchs and what a moment that, I mean, there's two great acting moments, I think for kind of two of our favorite supporting actors, Stephen Root's monologue and Anthony Kerrigan uh, just before Hank dies, uh, holding uh, Cristobal, the stat, he has a, he has a statue of Cristobal, and he holds the statue's hand. Uh, just two really, really great moments, and just the way the shootout is executed is great. And words cannot even describe just how much I enjoyed uh, this scene and just how it paid off so many things. And again, Barry not even being involved, uh, chef's kiss, because I think in some ways you're almost giving Barry what he wants, and in this case you're not by doing it the way they did. Yes, and I also like 
<laughs> there's the funniness of like you hear like the dramatic music playing over the standoff, but then like in real life, there's like no music at all. So like you see them standing off and waiting for him to bring Barry's son into the room, and it's just kind of awkward. Uh, and people are getting like impatient, and it's ve- that's very funny. Uh, and then yeah, like you <laughs> like just little things like the grenade being thrown and things like that. And I also am like watching the building; it's in these giant glass walls and i'm like what if someone's just like driving by and seeing this uh how funny that would be and yeah like barry kind of misses out on it and i like that he like says a prayer and you know like he says like i'm going to die tonight and things like that before he goes in and you know then you get you know fuchs and his son i guess we'll we'll, we're talking about the shootout here so we'll talk about that next but yeah all of it just is is such a great uh payoff to this rivalry and i think again you have hank who was all in denial about Cristobal's death. And you know, even though he's kind of doing everything in his honor and he ends up, uh, he ends up uh, getting killed. And I love the idea of Fuchs kind of settling the score with Barry in a very different way than perhaps we would have thought of. He saves John. Uh, I love that he covers John's eyes from seeing all the chaos. I, I don't know. I think John's still going to be traumatized from, from seeing blinded people and intestines out and legs and arms everywhere. Uh, yeah, John's still going to be pretty messed up, but Fuchs is trying at least. You got to give him credit. I do. And I do like that, you know, everything changes when he realizes Barry has a son. And I think part yes. of it's because he sees Barry as a son, too. And and I think that's great that he gets that he gets his son. He, he releases him to Barry and then that's that. And he lets Barry go. And I love that he makes that change. I love that he decides to let that go and, and move forward with his life. The fact that he is honest with himself and is able to let it go is why he survives. And I, I don't think it's very, it's not subtle. He does run off into the blackness. So clearly he's going to be doing something, but uh, he has come to some sort of peace uh, with Barry and uh, yeah, just great stuff from Steven Root. He's probably, I don't, I don't think he's going to get nominated, but boy, how many is, is he good in this season? Yeah. Phenomenal work. I, I, I think uh, like if you, Everyone's amazing in this, but it's like if you want to say him or I, I feel like him and Sarah Goldberg would be the two nominees for MVP. And if you and uh, I wouldn't argue with either one. And Anthony Kerrigan, I don't know, man, this episode, he may, he makes a late run. I don't know. You're that right. He, I don't think he I don't think he quite gets to Sarah Goldberg level. But boy, does he get close in this episode, like just a heartbreaking moment of him holding Cristobal's hand. A hundred percent. Yeah, he makes a late run for it. Uh yeah, he's he's phenomenal. I don't want to take anything away from him or Bill Hader or uh, the Fonz or any of those guys. They're great. But yeah, I think it's yeah. really Sarah Goldberg and Steven who really blew me away this season. For sure. So we do get uh, we get Sally, John and Barry in bed. Uh, she says Barry needs to turn himself in. And Barry's like, no, you know, and I'm not going to do that because. Uh, like I survived, I made it. Like clearly, God has a greater purpose for me, and it's and basically Sally decides that uh, she is going to run away. She does. Uh, Barry thinks that they they are at Gene Cousineau's house, so he goes to Gene's house. Gene is despondent. Uh, Jim and the district attorney are holding a press conference to condemn Gene as the prime suspect. Even Tom, who has stood by him all these years as his agent, is getting ready to leave. Uh, Barry comes in the house and uh, we get, <laughs> I guess, Kevin, we have to change the name from Chekhov's gun uh, to Rip Torn's gun uh, because we get the return of it. 
and it seems like oh is is Gene gonna is is Gene gonna commit suicide? Uh, he doesn't, in fact. Uh, with Barry coming in the room, Gene clearly hears what's going on. Uh, we hear one, one shot, kind of goes in the arm. Barry says, "Wow," and then gets shot in the head. And this very easily, like that moment of his head suddenly going back, could have very easily been the end of the episode. But there's there is an epilogue. Uh, how shocking was this moment, Kevin, or was it not shocking? With seeing his son grown up and everything. No, with uh, with Barry being shot. Oh, not not the epilogue. Uh, pretty shocking, but I think it is a good way for him to go out. And I think for the audience too, it's like you you almost feel like it would have been bullshit for for Cousineau to go to jail for everything we know Barry did. But then he kills him, and you're like, okay, well, we know Barry's not a good guy, but Cousineau still murdered him. So it like kind of justifies his jail. And everything against Barry can be put on him, too. But it feels like less of a ripoff as a viewer because he did, you know, he committed a cardinal sin. Um, And it helps with the and then that kind of helps with the epilogue, too, because the story that's crafted about Barry and Kuzno's relationship is very much colored by that. And although we know the real story, it's interesting to see what the story of the two of them becomes the lore of them in real life becomes. Uh, because uh, you had to say, you had to say lore. You just had I, to say it. I did. Lore, lore, lore. Well, at least, uh, at least Bray Wyatt had nothing to do with this episode. Anyway. Yet. Hey, those could have been his hallucinations that Sally saw. We don't know. Uh, so it's years later. Uh, Sally is at a high school. He, uh, she is a theater director. She has glasses now that she, I, I mean, she didn't have glasses earlier, but now she's, Clearly a number of years have passed and she is, uh, it is snowing. So they're clearly not in Los Angeles anymore. They never identify where they are. Uh, but Sally has just had a successful theater production. Uh, I think it's funny that the main character of party down and one of the main characters of Barry both kind of ended up in the same position. I think, uh, that's amusing to me. It is very amusing, but I also feel like, you know, this level of work fits what Sally would be able to do. After so many years. Um, and I also like that she gets like, you know, asked out to coffee by the APS tree. She's like, no, thanks. It's nice to see that she's like kind of her own confident, independent person. And, you know, and maybe there's some residualness for her wanting to get, you know, involved with another man. But it's nice to see that she's doing well, at least. I do like the moment of her asking her son whether it was good or not. Like she still does need that validation. But it feels much, obviously, much lower stakes now compared to years earlier. I mentioned the connection to it. Uh, John, for this, uh, this, I would say, like an extended cameo, uh, is played by Jaden Martell. Jaden Martell played uh, Bill Denbro in both It and It 2. So that is the connection. Okay, then. Uh, so we see Sally kind of driving off. And meanwhile, a, a biopic has been made. Apparently, Sally does not want John to see it, but John wants to see it for himself, so he goes to his friend's house, and he watches, and we get to see uh, a lot of the portrayal uh, and what has happened, and we get some uh, very funny moments. It's kind of this schlocky horror movie. Like the, it, It's almost completely different uh, than, than Barry, the, the rest of the series. The violence is much more cinematic in nature. Uh, we, get, we don't get any like ha-ha cameos, uh, nobody really notable, but I will say 
Uh, the person who does play Barry is Tim Cummings. Tim Cummings has directed a couple of independent movies on in his own right. So the, it's, it's a deep cut, but I could see people being amused by that. Um, my one disappointment, actually, there are a couple. Um, I, I think it goes on too long. I think we almost see too much of the movie, in my opinion. Um, the other thing is I really wish that they had uh, Kristen, uh, the actor who played Kristen, play Sally. I think that would have been a nice nod. But, yeah, what did, what did you think of this epilogue? Uh, I was mixed on it. Like, I thought it was an interesting tale to, to be like, you know, this is this is going to be Barry's history, almost like the good guy, as like remembered as the war, uh, the the war hero who was manipulated by his acting teacher into into killing somebody versus the truth. But I think that's, I you know, and I don't have any specific examples, but it goes to show that like certain things like that and what you know, these stories are only told with the information that we do now, um, and just how it's interesting how. Kusuno is going to be in, in the history of this universe. Kusuno is the villain and Barry is sort of this hero who was turned bad because of Kusuno and how that's not the reality, but that's the reality his son's going to know in, to, in some regards. And, or at least he's going to, maybe he knows more of the story because of what Sally has told him, but at least I think he's happy to know that's the, that's how the world is going to see his dad. So I thought it was interesting. Uh, you know, again, I like seeing that Sally was doing well and I like, you know, seeing that the son was doing well too. Um, so I thought it was an interesting, solid epilogue, but you know, like I said at the beginning of this, I don't think it's going to go down as like an iconic best, you know, one of the, the finest, uh, series finales ever, but it was, you know, satisfying and gives us an idea about what, how the world is going to view Gene and Barry going forward. I would agree with you. I, I was satisfied. I, I, I liked the finale. There's so many great moments but I think when you kind of put things together, I think there are some clear issues. I think the epilogue, I would agree, is a very mixed bag. And I don't know. I don't know what I would have wanted from an epilogue if we even needed the epilogue. I do think showing Sally doing somewhat well was uh, a good thing. I do think it's funny. So obviously May 28th, the biggest night in HBO's history, Succession, Barry, both having their series finales. I love the fact that this episode where they are quote unquote honoring uh, Barry, who is a veteran, this airs the night before Memorial Day. That is a plus planning right there. Yeah, that's just good. That's just some solid synchronicity. And I don't I don't I guess you couldn't have planned that, but that is a, a fun coincidence. And the other thing that I was thinking about was uh, Bill Hader mentions that when uh, he's like. When, you know, I think when there's some kids who go to sleepovers and stuff, they imagine that's we're going to watch like pornography or whatever else. And he's like, no, we would watch like Taxi Driver and movies like that. And I would be really obsessed with the cinematography. So like you're hearing uh, him and his friend talk about, like, oh, you know, my mom doesn't want me to watch this. This I was like, oh, it'll be fine. And you're wondering, is it going to be drugs? Is it going to be porn or whatever? And no, it's just the the biopic of his dad that his mom didn't want him to watch. So I thought that was a funny sort of reveal too that it's it's built up more than what it really is to us but obviously to him and his world it's a big deal for him to see this for the first time all right kevin so i think there's a couple questions that i have and you can add any if you want i don't know if you remember albert from season three uh one of barry's friends and basically he let barry go because barry said he was going to be a good person i really wish that that loop had been closed because if this scenario were to play out how how is Albert not getting involved? 
That's a really good point. I did not consider that. But I, I would have if I, I probably would have if I rewatched the series. I did not before watching season four. But yeah, that would have been a good loop to have closed. And I'm not saying you don't have to close every loop per se, but that that is a big one because in a scenario where you're saying Barry is this great person, Albert is a huge is a huge factor in that because he could come out and say, no, Barry really was an asshole. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Sally's relationship to what happened in Los Angeles, like. I, I, I'm very curious to know, like, how she gets she gets out of it. How is she able to use her real name? Uh, I was just that was also very interesting to me. Like, does she just run away and they don't care? I mean, clearly, even if she's not suspect, she has to be involved in some way. You'd think so, but you know, maybe they chalk it up to trauma or you know, uh, someone who is you know an innocent bystander in this mess of things. But yeah, I guess we maybe they just felt like, you know what? We have time. It's not that important. You know, would it be nice to have addressed it? Sure. But with the limited time they have, like I can I can let it go. Uh, Do you think Kim Moss is actually dumb? Because this has been uh, a conversation. I don't think he is like I think he is taking the information presented to him. I think he has always hated Gene a lot. I think the fact and this is it. This is more subtext. But if you are a black father and your younger daughter is dating an older white man, I mean, I think he's going to he's he's going to be very suspect of that. So I don't think that Jim is is actually dumb. I think the only thing that I would say is dumb is just leaving Barry in his garage. Again, I almost wish that he had just released him or like maybe like put him to sleep before and then taken him somewhere. Like, I think that would have worked just as well. No, I do not think he is dumb, but I do think he is emotionally motivated and that colored his perspective. That is fair enough. All right. Um, do you feel comfortable giving a uh, a grade for the final season and a grade for the series? I'd give an A to the series, and I would give a B plus plus A minus to the, the season finale. Uh, I'm in an A minus for the series. I think I think every every season had some really good stuff. I don't know how I would rank it, like how I would rank season four compared to seasons one through three. I would almost need to do a full rewatch, but I'm very satisfied giving this a B plus as well. I think there's some really good moments. I'm a little bit more mixed on episodes on episode five. I think there's some good moments, but I'm not sure if it totally worked. I think the finale has some great moments, but the epilogue definitely probably could have been shortened. So, yeah, I think we're, we're, in, we're in general agreement. Any any final thoughts on Barry? Really good show. And I'm, I'm glad it ended when it did, because I do feel like there anything else that they could have done would have just been uh, too much. And we would have really just had to make stuff and stretch things out that didn't need it to be. So it's nice to know we have a show that didn't, you know, fall off a cliff or, or, or overstay its welcome. It's nice to know they ended it when it needed to be ended. I don't think every every show does not need to be like 40 episodes in four seasons or 32 episodes. But I think Barry was always going to be challenged to go much longer than this because it would really just stretch credulity to just have Barry continuing to get out of these situations. So I think this going four seasons is perfect. I saw some people making an argument, maybe five seasons. I I don't disagree. I don't agree with that at all. If anything, I would have loved to have seen 10 episode seasons instead of eight. But I certainly, again, I can't argue with the idea of let's just end this now. 
leave people wanting more instead of being sick of the sick of the series. There's only one thing that needs to be six seasons in a movie, and that's community. Yes, uh, and thanks to the writer's strike, we will not be seeing that movie for quite some time. Damn you, writer's strike. Uh, damn the studios for not giving the writers their proper money. You know what? I bet there's a chance that there's a joke about AI writing from Abed or somebody by the time we get to that. Uh, oh, that's happening. That is absolutely happening. Kevin, I am very excited uh, for the rest of the summer. We're going to be doing something a little bit different. We've talked a lot about, you know, fictionalized uh, sitcoms and dramas and all that business. Uh, but we're going to be kind of exploring the mockumentary space. Uh, we could have gone and done Documentary Now, but Documentary Now is not canceled too soon. In- incredibly, it's still going, even though like nobody watches it. It's very obscure, but the people who love it, boy, do they another, love it. Another Bill Hader project. Absolutely. But we are going to be reviewing a show that Kevin has not seen, but I think is very curious to watch. And honestly, given the way that Barry ended and given some of the conversations about true crime and how people are portrayed and the way that we see people... We are going to be talking about the first and second season of American Vandal these next two months. So July, we're going to do season one, August season two. Uh, This is a Netflix show. I am so curious to know your thoughts, Kevin, about this once you've seen it, uh, because I I don't think that you are as into true crime as I am. I tend to watch a lot of true crime stuff uh, because it's there and it's easily available. But I will be very curious to get your thoughts on this uh, this parody homage uh, to the genre. Are you gonna? Ba- are you basically Kaylee Cuoco in that new show about new crime? I or- am absolutely not Kaylee Cuoco in any conceivable way. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I don't. I, I. I. have nothing against true crime, but just not a genre I've delved into or taken a huge interest in. But yeah, like American Vandal, obviously a show that I've heard of, but I don't know much about. And like, I look at the actors list, and I'm like, I don't know any of these people. But yeah. It'll, I'm 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 interested to to give this give this a watch over the next couple of months. It's it'll be a fun sort of shift out of uh, what we've been watching uh, otherwise for canceled too soon, but in line with Barry in some respects. So yes, it's uh, it's very very exciting. I'm so looking forward to this, and we're going to be keeping the true crime vibe going also with our next uh, in September as well, and we'll make that announcement uh, in August. But yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, to be talking about American Vandal, uh, because uh, you're going to be wondering, Kevin, hashtag who drew the dicks, and that's uh, that's going to be exciting. I already can't wait now that you've left me with that. All right, Kevin, so uh, we are going to end this episode, but Kevin, I just have one more question for you. Uh, so are you going to stick around and watch HBO's next project starring The Weeknd and Lily Rose Depp, Idol? Fuck no.